0: Hey coach, welcome to the Baskipedia podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hart. I appreciate you joining us on this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast so you know when the next one will be out. On today's episode, we will be interviewing coach Mark Mitchell of Wilberforce University. Some of the things we'll be discussing on this podcast are his experiences with the dribble drive motion offense, uh, coaching his daughters, coaching his sons, and how he balanced that, and his skill development. So stay tuned. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Basketpedia Podcast with Coach Mark Mitchell of Wilberforce U. Hey, Coach.
1: How's it going today in Ohio? Everything is great. You know, I'm coming out of a a gout flare-up. It's been about two weeks. Uh, Last week we were in – well, week before last we were in Atlanta watching. I was in there recruiting, but Kelsey's last game before the Wubble and – I mean, before the All-Star break and the Olympic break, and I was on crutches in the airport. Man, you're talking about a miserable, miserable experience, man. So, you know, but other than that, it's good. Everything's good. We're just learning and growing the game one day at a time. All right, well, you're at
0: Wilberforce now Can you can yep. you let us know your journey to Wilberforce? How, how how did you get to Wilberforce? I know there was yeah. some I know there were some stops along the way. Uh you were at D1. Uh, yeah. now you're yeah. at now you're at, at, at Wilberforce, but yep. you've had quite the journey. Can you can you let us
1: know about your your coaching journey? Coaching journey is I'm telling you, humble beginnings, humble beginnings from the standpoint of my pro football career didn't go as long as I wanted it to. Had a had a, had a decent shot at it, a decent run at it. Didn't go as, as I thought it should have. Left, got done. i never forget, crying in my mom's office the day that I, when I got home, I think I got home from, uh, it may have been the, the Broncos training camp. I got home and I, I knew it was over. And I'm in there crying. My mom walks in and my dad picked me up from the airport. Dropped me off in my mom's office. She was a principal. Says, what are you crying for? I said, man, mom, it's over. I've been playing football since I've been four. It's over. She says, you're all right. You got all them degrees. Go put them to work. So at the end of the day, everybody naturally thought I was going to matriculate into football. So disgruntled with football because of the things that, that, that happened. And these are always lessons that I pass on the kids. But so disgruntled with that whole concept, I got into basketball. And I, you know, obviously I had a ton of basketball opportunities coming out of high school and different things like that. But got into coaching uh, junior high basketball, sweeping floors, mopping floors, picking up, you know, turning out lights, taking kids home, dropping them off. That matriculates into the opportunity to, to be a, a varsity assistant here, coach against some really good guys, help learn them, help me learn the game. Opportunity to interview, I was the runner up 19 times and in high school level, when I finally got job number 20, job number 20, was probably, a, it was a great people, bad situation for kids, because it was inner city, Cincinnati, and, and we had to find unique ways to get it, get it done for them, and trust me, it, it was a war, but the great thing is, the kids were there for us, do a great job there, you know, and some of the things that, that we developed there kind of carried on and allowed us to have the success we had, which is that championship ring right there, you know, so <laughs> with the T in it. So, so I was, that, you know, Taft High School? Taft High School. So very fortunate to coach a great group of young guys and a great opportunity to do that. In that, you just never know who you meet along the way. And, Sean, and I always got to credit Sean Miller for this. Cause I was invited to around a round, coaching roundtable table that I had no idea that exists. So I get to the round table. He asked me to, you know, he, he would always come to my practice and he, he said, Mitch, you may not have guys that we're going to recruit. He said, but I really like the way you guys practice. I like your guards. I like the things you do. Would you be interested in coming to a round table, came to a round table and fortunately for me, bang, get there. Coach McGuff is there kind of meet Coach McGuff, and then you kind of piggyback that upon the thing that my daughters at that point in time were kind of matriculating their way, you know, kind of up the ranks. The next thing I know, you know, he asked me, you know, would I be interested in potentially coaching, you know, coaching college basketball, coaching women's college basketball. And, you know, my wife says, hey, if this is going to be your opportunity to get in, get in. And, you know, fortunately, a couple of years later, you know the opportunity presented itself. I got a chance to be at Ohio State, and and I learned the one thing that I learned at Ohio State. Your brand, that brand is important, which really helped me. Now, as we're starting to build this Wilberforce brand, so you, I do a you know do a really good job at Ohio State. You know we win some championships. You know which are the two other rings that's in there. And then, so we're really, really fortunate to do good things there. I think I'm ready. I jump out on my own, trying to get a job, you know, do, you know, interview for a couple of jobs, come up as a runner up. Time kind of runs out. I go back to the high school level, end up back at Tav high school and get an opportunity. Derek Williams, a, a, a friend of mine and he, a coaching colleague that we've had for years, he kind of, Asked me, says Mitch, could you come stabilize this program? Could you come get help us get this right? And you know, I interview, get the job, and here we go. Now, here's the best thing that happened. COVID was a terrible thing, but out of it became some really good opportunities. And one of the best opportunities was the administration canceled our season. And, and coaches can, can probably, you know, go with this and understand this. And even you could understand this as a coach. Give me an opportunity to get all the other stuff right without me having to prepare for games. When do you ever get that opportunity? Very rarely. Well, when they canceled the season, that allowed us to start from ground zero, build the foundation and build it right, which Hence comes to the point that you know we were kind of talking about a little earlier. You know what has happened at Wilberforce is people have treated Wilberforce as if Wilberforce was, you know, second, you know, you know, second choice, second fiddle. You know, and at the end of the day, it was totally upon us and our people to make sure that they understood that this Wilberforce is a viable option, and with it being a viable option. This isn't excuse you. This isn't second chance you. This isn't last chance you. This is where before it's you, and that should mean something. So all of those, you know, lead up, lead up things have gotten me to this point. I've gotten better as a coach. I've changed from the, the, you know, tough brimstone, you know, you know, run, run, run. I've ch- totally changed from where I started in 2002 as a head coach to where I'm at now in, in 2021.
0: When did the love affair with dribble drive motion come about?
1: Always tell coaches and, and, and people who want to get into coaching and people who want to coach players. The first thing you better do is you better take some time to sit down, sit back, listen, and observe before you speak, before you teach, before you demand, before you do any of that, go sit down and observe and listen. What I did was, you know, as, you know, finally got my first job at TAF, you know, I want to come in. I was under a really good coach at Winton High School with your Rob Heist, DeForest Riley, you know, really good players there. Samajay Christian, who played with Oklahoma City, that high school. So we were really good high school, really good basketball talent. Well, he did a great job of teaching, you know, emotion offense, reading cuts. So I think I'm getting ready to come in. We're getting ready to read cuts. We're going to backdoor cut. My kids looked at me like I was crazy. And the, the terminology, the verbiage, the understanding, they had no idea with So what ended up happening was, you know, I'm going crazy. Man, you guys. And I finally realized, hey, let's take a step back. I let my assistant coach, it was like a couple of scrimmage games. We were at a university. I let, this, I let the assistant coach. I went and sat out. And as I sit down, I observed them play. And as I'm watching them play, I'm saying, oh, my goodness, they're great off the bounce. And they don't turn it over. They know when to go one more. I said, oh, man, I can, these kids are smart. So, hey, and I always tell coaches, you're the pro, so you don't, you're the one that needs to make the adjustment. So make the adjustment based off of who you have. Hence, 2002 dribble drive, and we we used a couple basic concepts because what I didn't want them to do, I didn't want to confuse them and and labor them. So I, you know, we gave them some basic concepts. Basic concept: pass, cut hard over top. If you when you catch the ball, you're either going to shoot it. You're going to drive it or you're going to pass it. If the guy's up in you, drive it right through his chest. If they're off and it's a shot that you can shoot, shoot it. If you have no idea what to do, catch it in this, pass it, and X cut or cut over the top and force that defender to have to guard that action. Once they, once they guard that, see a gap, drive a gap. Draw two, throw to one. And that's how that all, all matriculated to the point where – everybody ended up starting playing a zone. So here we go. <laughs> so then you had to become a really good zone guy, and hence the dribble drive mixed with our pressure, because our kids, I, I I tell this story to a lot of people. and say, what was it like coaching kids at Tad? Well, imagine having a group of kids that would go play three on five. They would go play places three on five, and they would trap and rotate the whole game and pick up basketball. Those are the type of guys. They'd be like, you're gonna pick up the other two? Nah, we're gonna play three versus your five. Let's play. And they would literally win games. And be and and that's how it worked. And that's how the uh the idea of Coach Mitch and pressure and toughness and competitive and competitiveness and, and the ability to be able to let guards make great decisions and build great guards with great IQs.
0: When you implement it, do you do whole first or do you do, are you a part?
1: How do you how do you implement next thing that's made me better a better coach this year at Wilberforce I got great guys I love my guys but well, my guys they just don't they're not very basketball savvy so what I had to do is I had to use a variety of ideas some days some concepts whole some concepts part For instance, with this group, I taught the dribble first because normally I don't teach the dribble first. Normally I teach the movement because most players have no concept on how to move on the court. You ever want to find out where your IQ is for your players? Don't give them a ball. Tell them to, to air pass and cut and move and play without a ball. I guarantee you most times they'll be lost. And the first time you give them the ball, one of the first actions most kids are going to execute, because it's the simple dribble and ball screen. They run it, set the ball screen, because that's the bailout. And and I think we as coaches have to do a better job teaching teaching them first. And so a lot of that happens based off of who do we have? And, and in this instance, we didn't have very basketball savvy guys. So I taught them to dribble first, which is one of the harder things to learn conceptually is to draw two and throw to one and kick ups and pitch backs and back doors. Normally, I teach the movement piece. And what was funny when we got when it came time to teach the movement piece and we went we went three on three. We went three on o full court, three on o full court. And I said, you guys, pass the ball up the court. You have to make two cuts, and we got to get two reversals. What is the first thing you think they did? Uh, Dribbled it. They passed it, but next, full court, three on three, pass, go behind. Pass, Uh go behind. And I'm like, three-man weave." There is no such thing as three-man weave in a game. You can't three-man weave in a game. So why are we doing Well, because they had, conceptually, they had no idea. They literally had no idea how to move and cut. So, So that told me, furthermore, we really need to hammer home the idea of cuts, spacing. Cuts open up gaps. Gaps can be driven in to draw people and throw to people and make sure that we continue to move. And, and then from there, everything just kind of evolves. So depending on who we got, sometimes we teach the whole to the part. Sometimes we teach the part to the whole based off of, you know, the, uh, the individuals we're working with first.
0: With your football background, um, I see a lot of your posts on Facebook. You tag me and Twitter. Um, just tell us a little bit what do you kind of do differently or how do you come up with your skill development ideas for dribble drive? Cause some of them, they're not your, your normal Vance uh, blood drills, your <laughs> your or Russian drills or things that a lot of people have seen. Right. Uh, like today I, I saw one. It was great today. your It was a two player where they, where he threw the ball out.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: I think I've seen somebody do this before. And then those two kind of played one-on-one and then uh-huh. systematically, it became five on five, correct? Mm-hmm.
1: Right, uh, right, 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 right.
0: Is it stuff that you just have? Or is there people that you've learned some of this stuff from? Yeah. Or is it just self, self-taught? self Or how, how do you come up with them?
1: Well, and here's the interesting thing. Gene Katy was a football guy. And, you know, the former coach of Purdue. And, you know, he said a lot of his concepts come from the idea of having to work as a group to get things done. Because, you know, obviously you got 11 bodies. So doing a better job, having skills, developing skill sets so everybody can work, you know, cooperatively in the group. So with that mindset and because me growing up, I was as big as I was, I was a tailback quarterback. So now you fast forward to where I get punched in the mouth in the eighth grade and the coach puts me at an offensive lineman. Next thing I know, that matriculates into some of the best football I've ever played for in my life and being a part of a group as an offensive line. So what happens is A, you got to be physical every play, B, you got to work as a group to be able to execute different, different concepts, different schemes. So with that, you have to have a variety of things to be able to touch a variety of individuals to arrive at the same concept, which goes back to me being, I have an opportunity, you know, my master's is in in education with the emphasis of being a master teacher. And in that concept, what you have to be able to do is you got to be able to teach everybody, but you got to be able to give them, give everybody what they need to be successful, which means you have to be very in tune to who you're working with. Now with that, a lot of this comes from my, for instance, back when I was, I was playing a super major softball and I was, you know, we were getting it. And I mean, they, you hit balls out of the, I mean, it was great. Playing against steals and all that was great. My wife tells me, Hey, you coaching all these kids. You need to come home and coach your, coach your kids in the summer and stop playing softball. Well, hence I take, I stopped playing softball, come home, I'm coaching my son, fourth grade. They don't have the basic skills. So where do you start? You you got a group of kids who don't understand the game. So a lot of those things come out of the idea, what is it, what are you, how are you teaching this so they can grasp the concept of throwing the ball up the floor, hence partner layup. That started, you know, 90, I've probably been doing that one since 90, 96 maybe uh partner layup and just coaching my sons and their their group and the good thing about them is when they started they weren't they were decent they would get the head pound when you play some of the top tiers but when it came time for the money and the scholarships to be passed out you know 12 13 years later we were in the AU and we finished like I want to say we finished like 15th in the nation. And all the teams are really good when we were there young. They weren't even playing anymore. But and everybody on that team, they got a chance to get a scholarship to go to college to play basketball. But those basic skills we help use and develop. So that partner layup drill comes out of that concept. Uh, fortunately for me, I have dynamic daughters. And in and in women's basketball, you have to find a way to give give them the edge. And because you know, obviously Kelsey is who Kelsey is, but Chelsea is a really good basketball player. So a lot of the other things that I came up with was to give them an edge. And so when we do our skill development, what's the edge? For instance, Debbie Antonelli would always say this about Kelsey. She looks like a running back going through the hole. Well, hence me as an offensive lineman, we always hear, our, hear the running back coach say, get your pads low, get your pads low. Well, conceptually, if I'm going to the basket, I'm driving through a hole. So what do I have to do? I got to get my pads low. And what that simply is, is I have to minimize the contact. And any contact that happens, I have to be the one to initiate it. And why do I initiate it? Once I make the contact, I make that defender smaller. And once I make them smaller, I can then execute what I need to execute. So those concepts help us build the skill development for whatever it is today. Like today, uh, watching our kids yesterday, and they were kind of, they would get going, but they were trying to work a speed stop, but they can't. So that tells me now, I got to now go back, write a prescription, i.e. write a lesson plan. Here we go. So today... We're going to do speed stops. Just working on executing full speed, get to a stop. Now, when we get to the stop, we got to be on base and balance. So, we'll teach what we call shape ups first. We'll teach the note not eliminating false steps second, explosion third, coming to a stop with both feet forward to the rim and then executing another move out of that without wasting time, without wasting movement. So that's how all, a lot of that kind of stems and how a lot of that grows from from teaching our kids in skill development. And then here's the other thing I hate. I hate teaching skill development just to teach skill development. Skill development should become a significant part of your practice. That's why Coach McGuffin and I really, really kind of hit it off because I believe skill development should simulate exactly how you're going to play. And it should be a seamless transition.
0: Now you you've mentioned your kids, and and I have a daughter that's starting to enjoy basketball, and I'm sure a lot of people will be listening to this on replay. Yeah. How do you balance being coach, yeah, and being dad? Um, I mean, how? I mean, you have an and all you, you have an all, you had an all American daughter, and you have and she's in the WNBA. So right. yeah. obviously. You did. Obviously, she had some skills there. You helped yeah. her along the way, but yeah. she has a drive of her own. Yeah. But How did you, Kelsey, you want to get this, you want to get that, you want to get that, but how yeah. did you also balance being a,
1: a dad? At the end of the day, you you need a buffer, and the best buffer, two people were the, well, three people were the buffer. My wife, my mom. And my dad, who passed away last year this time, my dad. And they were the buffer. And the buffer was when you leave the court, we're not necessarily going to talk about a lot of basketball. Now, basketball may come up, but, A, we're not allowed to bring it up. We're not allowed to talk about it X, Y, and Z. Now, that's tough. Yeah. You know, after you you know, but I, I, and I always tell, I, I apologize to my son maybe once a week. Hey, man, my bad. I'm sorry, because it was tough on them because they're a coach's son. So you naturally assume that they should get it. But my mom tells me something. She says, yeah, they're your sons. and Yeah, you love them. But they're no different than any other kid that's trying to figure this thing out. So you can't just because you think they know they really don't. They're just like any other kid. So You got to teach them just like you do any other kid. You got to be patient with them just like you do any other kid. Er, aha moment. And then funny thing is, sad but funny, my one twin boy who's been the point guard for them growing up, he had a knee injury that kind of hurt him through the first part of their junior year. So the other twin boy who was the bigger twin, Cameron, he had to become the point. And I had no idea how he would kind of handle this. And he had arguably John Stovall, who's with the Nike guy, he says he arguably in 2009 to 10, he arguably had one of the best summers that any kid could have because he went from being an obscure nobody to being on some mid major radars. And you know he's still playing professionally. Now he's about six five, and I mean he can score like no other. But and and the thing of it is, is you have to have those buffers that help you see the bigger picture. And, and fortunately for me, and for my kids, when they were growing when they were growing up, I was still playing. I could still run, and I could still play and play at a really high level. So they would come to games and they would see me. And next thing I know, one time I'm playing, they're on the other court playing because somebody was short and they picked them up and they out there playing. So they start. that started at age 11, 12 for for them. So, and they've been very, very fortunate. But the buffers, you got to have buffers. And then you got to recognize one simple thing. They're they're just the kid, just like anybody else. And you got to give them the space to grow and and teach them just like you would teach anybody else and the last thing don't ever take it personal don't take it this don't take it personal this is they're growing just like in any other any other young kid they're growing and they grow at different rates and different paces
0: so you have two sets of twins
1: yep two tries four kids <laughs> how you like that man <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah
0: it's, that's, I mean, that's, it's that's 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 Talking about being a basketball coach, that's some uh efficiency stats right there. Yeah, very efficient
1: <laughs> and, and That's a two
0: three, that's that's 2.0 points per possessions right there.
1: <laughs> I love it. Yes, yeah, so for, yeah fortune, like I said all four went to college, all four got scholarships, Kevin and Cam, their last two years. They left Walsh and uh and then went to IU Southeast and they were four. They had. They were all Americans at IU Southeast. Got a chance to play in the NAI Final Four, so they've had a lot of success as well.
0: Well, you're a student of the game, just like me. Uh, we, we're basketball junkies. Uh, but, who do you who do you study like to help with your dribble offensively philosophy? Who who are you studying, and who's helping you out?
1: Right now, I'm probably studying more. Of uh, uh probably a little bit more of, of i was studying a little more popovich but i'm probably studying now a little more of lenny lenny acoff
0: okay he is that um, you know,
1: he's running the princeton yeah. he does a really good job of creating gas to driving list lipscomb right yeah, he's at Lipskin. He does a really good job there. Tell you another, uh, uh, Scott Davenport at Bellarmine. Okay, watching a lot of him. Uh, he does. He does a great job with spacing and cutting. Which they once you get that spacing and getting that cut, and it's not necessarily the cut; it's the consistency of the speed of the cut for 40 minutes. And that's why I think they, Bellerman, when they first, this last year was their first year, that and, and that's why they, they did so well, because they they turned the game of basketball from a coach's game, because I, I think a lot of people try to overcoach the game. He turned the game over to his players and phew, I mean they were cutting uh, at they were cutting at a pace that would that was really, really, really unbelievable. And then uh then obviously I always, you know, always like to watch Coach McGuff, Coach Neighbors. You always get, you know, really good nuggets from them. Uh I think Vic Schaefer, he does a good job, kind of, you know, in his dribble drive setup. I just I don't the thing that they don't do a lot is they don't cut a lot, mm-hmm. which I think. Pigeon holes them a little bit. Uh, Carrie Banks, she's doing a – and she's her first year at Omaha. She's done a really good job of she, – she did something interesting. Out of that trail ball screen, she rolled them and got that big opposite, okay. passed it, cleared, and then was able to bring it back to the other side. So she did some really good things, I thought that that were really really i mean they were really really good so you know, I, you know i'm i gotta tell you what i got is an open book that i'm constantly studying this person this person oh, yeah. this person that person so uh then i'll always go back to uh uh rick torbert always will go back to his stuff just because he does a good job teaching cutting spacing and cutting in his read and his reading reacts stuff so uh, a, a lot of different guys, a lot of different young ladies, and this kind of helping me. Ron, Huey, Huey does a great job with his dribble drive. Is, is
0: Carrie from
1: Ron's tree? Uh-uh. Carrie is from uh, uh, Jose down at uh, South Florida. Okay. And yeah, she's more aligned. She's more, I think she was there a little longer than she was some other places, but but and that's the other thing, like, like uh, he, Jose does a great job with Cause he gets a lot of the European players. Mm-hmm. He his young ladies do such a good job with space and being ready to shoot the three on the catch. Oh my goodness, they, he does an unbelievable job. He's ball screen guy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but they do a good job coming off the ball screen and delivering that next pass so that that individual can be ready to shoot. Right, see,
0: see, so you're a lot like me. We we both coached on the guy side, but you've coached you've coached both. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the hoop talk group and, and the zooms that I have, uh, discussing dribble drive, it just seems like it's exploding on the
1: girl's side of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, why, why do you think that is coach say it's what people, because, and this is the other thing numbers, they don't lie, but they don't tell the whole story either, but because people are become so analytical, they say, wow, we're not turning it over as much. When we do go to the dribble drive, well, okay, you're not turning it over as much, but then you, sometimes you gotta look at the quality of shots that you're getting. Bingo. So <laughs> it's it's kind of, it's kind of a, a give and take, which I think because it's a little safer. And here's the other thing: though, when you know Coach McGuff and I, when I first got to Ohio State, and we first started talking about it. Him, Patrick, and you know Joy Cheek and uh, Maya McCurdy. They were there when we first got there. Uh the conversation was the way that the referees were calling it, because they on the women's basketball, they were calling that arm bar. And and you know, that's a whole nother topic, but they call that arm bar. And if that's gonna be the game, um, oh, we're gonna foul everybody out. So let's go. Let's just just get downhill. And at the end of the day, that became the I think that's a focal point, which I think is somewhat. Even the playing field, because now you're getting young ladies driving down, driving downhill at people that are causing some problems. And and whether you are male or female, you you can't get out of the way of that drive. And it's made it a lot easier for you to create opportunities for your group. So, A, it's safer. B, you've created more opportunities for your group. And here's the last piece that I think that that's that's really, really kind of been a a focal point is you get a chance in practice to do more skill development, to be able to elevate your young people's play. That's the, for me, that's, that's, that's the cream de la creme, because when young, when people come, coaches come in our practice, it was like, man, your practice is like one big skill development, but it's tempo. So we'll go, you know, full court action that, that we want to focus on passing, but we also got cutting and moving. Then we'll get ourselves into, boom, hear the whistle, bang, we're going into a shooting drill. Come back, bang, we'll get ourselves back into another skill development. Like, I don't know if you've seen the the one that I posted with the cones where they're ripping, penetrating, and pitching. So we'll get that, bang, blow the whistle, bang, we're back into a shooting drill. Boom, we might then get into some defensive concepts. Then we change it. And so everything is a tempo-tempo, but at the end of the day, offensively, we're developing more skill to eliminate turnovers and to create, eliminate turnovers, create confidence, and to develop IQ.
0: Your thoughts on dribble drive is mainly considered a key or three offense.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, what is your feelings or what, is, what is, how do you teach it or or your yeah. thoughts on the mid-range part of it or in the paint type? What, what do you, no. are you allowing it? Yeah, certain guys, top guys. What what's your thoughts on it?
1: I because I love I love the whole game. Mm-hmm. I, I the mid range game. Like in high school, I shot sixty eight percent from the floor. I averaged like seventeen a game, and I I could shoot the three, but you know they. I think I was a year before they instituted the three. I could knock it down from deep, but my deal was the elbows, elbows, block, mid. You know mid key. That was my deal right there. So, mm-hmm. we teach all of that. So, here's the concept. A layup for us can be elbow in is okay. a layup. In the in the paint area. In the paint. That's a layup. Right. That's a layup for us. And we drill that. uh We drill the heck out of that. I, I think I posted a video. I think it might have been Sunday or day before. We were just working some. Some cones, some uh hezzy, uh Euro hop and go. And then the full whole focus was getting to the elbow and being able to get out of the get out of that move and get into a pull-up. So I believe in that. Any so our concept is anytime we get to the elbow, that's considered a layup for us. Obviously, yeah, if you get all the way to the ring. And see, here's the concept with this. When you go watch a big East men's or women's game. A Big Ten men's or women's or any college game, that game is fast and physical. Mm-hmm. So you're not if you get all the way to the rim, that team is probably bad. Yeah. So you have to be able to to take advantage of opportunities when they come. So if we kick up and we work like heck to get you know to a, to that paint and to that elbow, and I'm clean, shoot that. You got to shoot that. Cause in college basketball, that might be the best shot you get. Now we do obviously, yeah. You want to change size of the floor and and you know you know get it to three sides. Oh, that makes sense. I'm not disputing that. But if we come out of a kick up or a kick back, and they they get to that elbow and they clean, then you got it. Like I kid, we got a kid we bought a, he can flat foot shoot the ball. He caught the ball yesterday. We come straight. He's coming off of a field cut. We get a kick-up on the other side, and the kid comes out of the kick-up. They all jump to the kick-up. He pitches the kids wide open. And he's, I'm like, oh, 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 wait a minute. If you don't shoot that, you out of here. You're not going to play. Shoot the ball. He said, Coach, no problem. He made the next four. And I said, hey, that's that's what you're here for. So you as a coach, you got to be okay. With that, But you got to teach it. You got to drill it. You got to work on it. You got to shoot it. Can't say we're going to shoot mid-range, shoot, uh, you know, get in the key and shoot those things and not work on those things. But for us, anything to the key, anything at the elbow end, that's a layup. And then obviously we want to be able to force teams in the long closeouts and hit deep threes. And I you, got about six guys that can do that.
0: Do you have any game goals, such as you want to get up X number of threes, you want to get a certain percentage of your offensive rebounds? Do you do you chart any of
1: that type of stuff? We chart not as much of that as much as we chart three. We chart three possessions at a time. Okay. So out of the three possessions, we have to have we want to make two out of the three. That's check. Two out of the three, if we get, if we go over two, but we get two really good shots, check. Cause eventually they'll fall, but we just gotta stay patient and stay diligent in trying to get those opportunities. So we chart that. We chart post players every four minutes or my bad, every two, three minutes. They have to have at least three to four rebounds. If four and five are have not gotten well, them, I'm sorry, three, four, and five. If three, four, and five every two to three minutes have not accumulated at least three to four rebounds, they coming out.
0: Are you talking on both sides of the ball or both sides? Of the
1: ball. Okay. Both sides. If they're not guards, if you have not got in 3 to 4 minutes. If you have not gotten at least 5 deflections, we're changing guards. We're changing guards. And and offensively, so the 2 to the 2 to 2 out of 3 is more of our offensive focus. Uh and and here's the thing cuz I try not to get too analytical because because I know me Because if I get too analytical, I'm going to be searching for a certain level of perfection, which is bad for me. And and because I'm going to, I'm going to grind that and grind that to whereas I enjoy the game. Just enjoy the game. It's gonna happen because we've worked on it. And 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 you know, like I said, the numbers, they don't tell the whole story. They don't lie, but they don't tell the whole story. So, you know, we just we try to kind of stay into that concept two or the three. Let's make sure that we getting, you know, we get two good shots, let's make sure that we two out of the three on that. If we're what we won't do is if we go O for three, coming down and just one pass shot or walk down threes, if that O for three, the whole group coming out. It don't even matter everybody coming out. You know, yeah. have you ever thought about it or done it? Chart paint touches? Thought about it, we did it one year. We did it one year at Ohio State, which was I think was the year that Kelsey and Amherst Alston, Alston, they were the they had the they were the best scoring duo. But the the great thing about Kelsey, Am, Kate Craft, which is Anne Craft's uh, uh, little sister, uh, Asia Doss, uh, and Amy. Amy Skellion, the good thing about them is they showed up to skill development religiously and they would actually apply like Amherst Austin was what I call slow good. She could find a way to get herself there. So when we had those those dynamic players, we charted the paint touch because that allowed. because when Kelsey started being able to, you know, really stretch the defense that paint touch became really, really important because then she's 22, 23 feet out. And if her person is going to help on that nail, that's a long way out. That's a long closeout. So we started really being able to chart that paint touch and make sure that we were able to get that. And Amherst could shoot it as well too. So those other three guards getting that paint touch was important to them. And what we tried to make sure that we did, we wanted every paint touch had to either be a should result into a drop five or a pitch three. Drop drop five is your post post player, yeah. Okay,
0: yeah. so just, he just because everybody does their everybody does their numbers differently. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. it's very weird. Uh uh-huh. Did you ever want Did you ever follow Greg Campy at Oakland?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't know if you ever I don't know if you ever recognized it. His odds, 1 in 3 were backcourt. And never know, never recognized. And, it. and 2 4 were corners. So, odds backcourt, evens corners.
1: Never recognized it. He has a really good video that's on uh I've seen on YouTube. He's just about an hour and about an hour and 15 minutes long. It's a really good job, but I never noticed. I'm going to yeah. go back.
0: Well, unless you see unless you see the notes of the diagrams, you wouldn't okay. you wouldn't Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because he doesn't he doesn't talk he he doesn't talk about it as numbers per se cuz all four mm-hmm. are universal. But I noticed something over the years when I've ran this. Mm-hmm. That one stat stuck out to me that was the common denominator of us winning. And that was free throw attempts. Oh Have yeah! You noticed any anything mm-hmm. else that has been a common
1: denominator for you, or is that has that been pretty important to you guys as well? Once we do our scout and we identify who is who's the best player, best two or three players on the other team, mm-hmm. this is one stat that we that I started when we were at TAF. The best players top three players on the other team if they're guards before halftime they have to have at least two fouls if those guards that are the best three players if they don't have at least two fouls we're not attacking them because when we come downhill at you we should be able to generate a foul call and obviously a get to the free throw line that's you know obviously that's the that's the whole concept but that if we went in the halftime and we looked at it and they say well such and such ain't got but one foul such and such don't have, we're not very aggressive so that's a that's a thing that I've always kind of that's been unique in terms of that's different than a lot of other people are doing that's one thing that we've always that I've always made sure that we did what
0: defense has given you the
1: most problems. Early on was the pack line, okay. and like I, I like I tell people, the best, I couldn't have had a better, you know how people say, man, I wish I could get better at this, and then boom, an opportunity comes along, and you get better at it. That's kind of like, it's, it's been my whole life story, because I wanted to get better at teaching offense. Boom, I get an opportunity to coach at Wynn Woods. They, you know, Coach Lump kind of teaches me how to Teach the progression and things that go into breakdown drills. I wanted to get better at what happens if our team can't score? Defense has to travel. Da, da, da. Well, why is it that we can't score? And then I started to delve a little deeper into that. And some teams just do a really good job game planning. So, hence, you must have a comprehensive. Offense to the point where it evolves as the defense evolves, i.e., pack line. Well, when people jump into that pack, you know, two things got to happen for us that I figured out. Two things got to happen immediately. We have to use in our cuts when coming through because we try to, because we don't have like a Six nine dominating post guy. What we have, we're we're blessed with this. Before you go, guys.
0: before you go, if you had a six nine dominating guy, because I get this question in our course: yeah. How yeah. do I, how do I use my post player? Well, right. if I had a six foot nine dominating post, I probably wouldn't run it. I, I'd make yeah. sure he touched the damn ball on the block every yeah. damn time. so there's a reason why you're probably running dribble drive all your kids are probably six foot five and below
1: well here's (laughs) the concept with that and i'm glad you said that rick Torbert sparked my interest with this read and react soon as soon as we see we have a because like we got a freshman kid that's about six seven not bad skill but I had a really good post player in high school. He was about 6'6". Six, six, and he was six. He played at Ohio State, got drafted by the uh, Buffalo Bills. You know, he unbelievable. What we did with him is we spaced him out and we, we cut him. So he never actually caught it on the post. I mean, caught it on the perimeter. So, when, for instance, if, he, if we were – he was the next person to catch it, We would automatically dribble at him, send him back door. He would spin and pin and post. He would post for a second. Then he would back screen his way out. Bang, set the back screen, wing, opposite wing or corner. Back screen his way out, fill up. If he caught it, you're not dribbling it. Just pass it, pass it, basket cut, crack down, post, spin and pin. That's how we got and what what happened was you couldn't load up on him. Yeah. You couldn't load up on him. So, and then on the other side, we would still run our dribble drive. So, let's say he let's say he set a back screen. He filled out. He caught it. He pitched it. He cut. They caught. They came off of the cut. And soon off soon after off the cut, they went into a dribble drive. Guard went to a kick up. Went to a kick up. Through back, throw in. So that ended. Up, what ended up happening was it became more beneficial for us to go five out with the six nine. We just gave him some rules. So if I did have a, a six nine kid, you're gonna play out on the perimeter. We're gonna crack you down and let you spin, pin, and post. And from there, it then becomes a little more difficult for offenses to just kind of load up. Yeah. And just deal with you. So, but two things I would do once we started and once I kind of figured this thing out. Set your back screens. Back screens. You got to show when they show. you Sprint off your back screen. Catch, rip, and drive. And back door cuts. And we we have a thing that every every possession we're gonna try to get two back two back door cuts per possession and force that force you to have to guard that cut to open up the gap and go from there. So if we went dribble at, backdoor cut, kick up, but when we kicked up, we dribble at, we wouldn't necessarily turn the corner in that first one. We go dribble at, backdoor, kick up, come back the other side, that that slot that's coming on the field, boom, we automatically send him backdoor, and then we kick up on the other side. Bingo. You're gonna get that. you gonna, I mean, you're gonna get that with no matter what, what they're in defensively. So once we figured those things out, we were really, really good. And, and I tell you the other thing, it allowed us to coach in concepts versus hey, timeout. Let's no, hey, 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 let's get two or three backdoor cuts. Make sure we execute them back, back screen. Bingo, that's it. Well, that's all that's the only conversation we need. You don't need to call a timeout for that. Just execute that and get that right so we can get a good shot. Glad you
0: mentioned backdoors because all the people I discuss it with and my teams in general is the more you backdoor, I mean, I can probably count the times backdoor we actually probably did it and we're either getting to get a shot, we're going to get fouled, or we're going to get a pass out of that situation that's going to create to that, that check mark that you were talking about, good possession. Uh, very, very rarely are we turning it over, off of that action. Uh, but to get the kids to do it is, is a whole nother, whole other <laughs> podcast. So um, now a question I really want to ask you, because you, you show these great drills and, you, and, and they're awesome stuff. And it looks like they're giving a lot of effort. That's due to you say you got a great group of guys right now that want to learn, want to get better, and you're yeah. building that culture. But how do you push players to take themselves to take themselves where they can't take themselves? Like how do you, how do you go about it? Like you're like you said, you've changed your your mode as a coach. You're not quote unquote such a hard ass anymore. <laughs> um, you're, you're you're more in t- you're as we get older, we yeah. we kind of. We kind of don't yell and scream as much anymore and and, and and try to teach more, um, if you will, and our patience kind of, I guess, grows now that you're a grandfather too, and all that, all that good stuff. But how how do you push the players to take them to a spot that they can't?
1: Standard is a standard. Standard is a standard. We will and and he and these are these are some things what they call non-negotiables. And those are you and you have to stay true to your non negotiables and 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 this is a really good question and a and a great example of how this worked. The program I took took over, the standard was you could walk in late. The standard was you could shoot at a pace and it was okay. You could, you know, if you wanted to run that run the play, you could. You didn't necessarily have to talk on defense. And that was, that was a standard. That was that was it. Well, the first thing I did when they came in, we counted the doors in there. And there's 18, 18 doors in our gym. And I said, fellas, understand this. We're going to help you. We're going to mold you. We're going to help grow you. We're going to help develop you. We're going to help develop you to a point where IBM, Apple, uh, GE, png and G, they're going to get an unbelievable individual that's going to work in their company. The next wife, the wife that you meet, they're going to they're going to get a young person that's going to be incredibly committed to developing the family. They're going to be loving. They're going to be caring. They're going to be nurturing. They're going to be able to listen and be able to work within a group. My God, they had this. This was over their heads, and we talked about it every day, and what we we gave examples of it every day, and didn't stand it withstanding. And so then, when they came in, if you came in late, you were sent back out. If you weren't communicating, we all got on the line, and after a while, we didn't get on the line. Pause. Let's go watch film. And then we started watching film of a lot of the different teams because you say that you want to win. You say that you want to compete at a high level. So we go watch film, and we watch a, like, really good highlight now is Duke uncut five-on-five five highlights. It's on YouTube. Unbelievable. Watch it. Now, Szeski doesn't do a whole lot of talking in there. He does a little talking. But his kids do most of His players do most of the talking. And they're up and down the court. And hey, they're just talking one more, one more. They're talking community Boom, we're going to go watch this. Because you tell me that you want to be a, a, a college basketball player. You tell me you want to compete at a high level. Okay, let's go see what teams at a high level do. Now, let's go pick a team and let's go type in and let's watch them play. So we typed in a couple teams that they thought were, you know, really decent teams and they had games on YouTube. And I said, what's the difference? Well, nobody's communicating. I said, so you say this is what you want to be, but this is your action Who's winning. And then when they start, I said, so that's the standard. And we're not going to ever let you fall below the standard. Last thing that one of the first, and here's one of the first things we do that we will do a week and a half from now when we found a report back there's a clip that's in the movie the right stuff we show this clip it's about a three about a 4 minute clip and in that clip is the when uh Jaeger's getting ready to make break the sound barrier he's getting ready to break the sound barrier he's in the he's in the cockpit there's somebody else helping him there's people on the ground, but I tell my guys, when you watch this, observe everybody and observe their body language. And as they start to watch it, they start to notice some people were involved. Some people were, were probably hating on the fact that he was getting ready to do something good. Some people were nervous. Some people were brave. Some people were wrong. So now look at us, look at your body language. So we started talking about different things your body language, your attendance, your commitment and we started holding them to those standards, non-negotiable. We started holding them to those standards and next thing you know, a couple people fell off. Next thing you, next thing you know, we have about 10 solid guys that are in. Are they the most talented? No. What they're in. And what's happened is since, uh, since last September, they've gotten better each day. We recruited. We went out and recruited a group. And in our recruitment, we said, we're looking for guys who are 1% better. So who want to get 1% better every day. And so we would talk to, on the phone, what do you feel about getting 1%? So we talked about that. The next thing you know, we ended up with four guys. And their whole deal is, coach, I just want to get 1% better every day. And so we have now, we have a group, a culture of guys who love to hold each other accountable, respectfully, love to work really, really hard and compete on the court. And they love to get better 1% every day. So we changed a lot of that. A lot of guys were not willing to meet the standard. And you have to hold true to your standards. You have to. And what you find out is, is okay, yeah, you might be able to run them for the first couple of times, but after a while, that becomes diminishing. So now you have to now show them what it is you're trying to get to, i.e. the 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 right stuff link YouTube that we use on YouTube, uh, the Duke highlights, watch them. The teams that do it fairly decent, watch them. The teams that are not very good at all, watch them. And then I think what you have to do is you have to have tangible stats and stats that punch you in the face. One glowing stat that I use, and I let them know, for the last 10 years, there's 75 HBCUs nationally that compete in sport. Of the 75, Wilberforce is number 70. My bad, there's 67 out of 75. So we're the, we're, we're at 67. We're one of the 67 poorest, well, worst basketball, HBCU basketball program. That's your marker. Everybody that has come in here, they've misused the university. They didn't care what the universe, they, they, they misrepresented, the know, so we now need, and I told them, I said, we need people who are going to lift the brand. we need people who care about Wilberforce and what helped me with that was I was on a zoom call with three or four because I try to get on the zoom with three or four different alumni alumni chapters of Wilberforce and what I found is how I feel about Eastern Kentucky what I found is uh it's 80 year old young lady that's an alumni of Wilberforce who donates her money every year to Wilberforce she loves Wilberforce and It means something to them. And I I told my guys, I said, you got people 80 years old that love this place. I'm not gonna let you just come in here and walk all over, it's not gonna happen. So these are the standards, this is the expectations. You're either in or you're out. I posted that once again, I posted something today. You're either in, you're out. And that's the concept that we built. That's the mantra that we built. And now our guys are now reaching for those standards daily. That's good stuff.
0: Um, I've asked this co- question, but not to on the girls' side. So, yep. your daughter's in the WNBA. Yep. Give me, of the players in the WNBA today, mm-hmm. give me your five players, your ultimate five girls in the WNBA, or five women, sorry, in the WNBA that would comprise your ultimate dribble drive lineup.
1: All dribble drive WMBA.
0: Uh uh oh I know Della Donna's in a corner shooting. Come on now.
1: Now she she's the dragon
0: in coach, oh, oh she's coach, she's coach. neighbor's dragon.
1: Okay, dragon. coach neighbor's dragon.
0: She's the dragon. That's, all right, who's, who's her who's, who's your uh, rapper? Obviously,
1: Kel, Kelsey would be Kelsey would be my one because Who? she can put, she can put pressure on the on the gaps and put pressure on the okay. defense. enrique uh, uh, I would always put her, she would be a three, and I would always try to get her to be as much opposite, bringing it down so you could then bring it back to her and get her downhill. So she'd be on the left side? Yeah, she'd be on the left side. Uh Ooh, uh, Who are you putting
0: out your dead-eye shooter in the two-corner, man?
1: Dead-eye shooter. Oh, man, that's easy. That's Allie Quigley.
0: <laughs> she just won it. She <laughs> just won the third straight.
1: She can go there. And... Uh,
0: uh, Is Griner the post?
1: No. Sylvia Fowles. Okay. Understands angles. Because the, the, the best thing about like watching Sylvia Fowles, I mean, even though she's getting up there in age, uh she understands angles. She does a really good job of angling and getting you in a tough situation, tough spot to be able to have to guard her. I watched her, she did something the other day, man. She, I mean, she just kind of was patient and she took one crab dribble and angled the girl a little further up the floor and then she was able to get the, but she understands angle. And then here's the other thing about that, that five, they have to be secure in the fact that we're going to do more penetrating drop than we will actions to just throw the ball into you. And, and that's twofold because I would either her or Brianna Jones, from uh uh from Connecticut, she she does a really really good job, yeah. So Allie Quigley, Enrique Kelsey, Deladon as my dragon, uh, Jones or uh uh, uh or uh, Sylvia Files at the final. Isn't there a Connecticut
0: maybe, isn't there a Connecticut player on every team in the WNBA? Yeah.
1: <laughs> almost. Let me see. Let me see, because I don't know if Kelsey and them have a. Yeah, that, I don't think Kelsey and them at the Fever. I don't think the Fever have a, a Connecticut player. Okay. Uh, I mean, Connecticut. And here's a good thing about the Connecticut players: do the, the thing that's they understand the standard that you're because Geno doesn't let you kind of fall off. You're going to, yeah. yeah. You're going to be. You're going to compete here. You're going to stay here, and 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 then you may not be. The star, but you're gonna be a star in whatever role is is prescribed for you.
0: Can and that's you, one can you leave it? early, D1 women? Huh? Can you leave early, D1 women, or do you you Yeah, yeah.
1: Who did that last year? I think but he's actually done it. Okay. it Sabat- Sabatelli, okay. I think that's it. That's it. Or uh, uh, that's a Dallas with the wing. She left early. Uh, I want to say Kennedy Carter, who's with the Atlanta Dream. I think she left early. Uh, not it's not a common thing. A Jewel Lloyd was one of the first ones that I I can think back to who you know actually left a little early, and she and Jewel has Jewel had a really good, uh, good career. I like her too, and with the Rike over there, that, man, she would be good too in that dribble drive. She would be real, real good. But uh, but yeah, yeah, man, Now that's. And here's the other thing. Me and my best friend, he's the DB coach, defensive coordinator, used to be the Defensive coordinator, of Florida State's DB coach at uh uh Michigan State, and he played at Michigan State. We said this a couple years ago: whatever NBA team decides that they want to play space and pace, cuts in motion, and if they're really skilled, they're going to cause havoc on the league, i.e., I think- Golden State. Yeah, I think- yeah,
0: Golden I think. They don't do it because it wears on you a little bit, the driving and the kicking. Um, but also, in, I think in the NBA game, they can say, okay, you're going to guard LeBron. You stay on LeBron. If there's no screening action, mm-hmm. there's no chance for them to switch, which is prominent in the NBA. I was going insane watching the Clippers versus the Mavericks. Uh Luke, them setting ball screens for Luca 40 feet from the rim. Yeah. And they would just switch it. Switch it And over. then he know it was switched. And then he would have uh Zubok, whoever was guarding Zubok, come set the screen and he'd yeah. get Zubok on him. And I'm like I'm like, do you guys want to win? Just quiet. Just stay. Yeah. Just fight through a dang screen. Yeah. And
1: yeah.
0: and we saw in the NBA right now. hmm Milwaukee was switching everything or whatever, yeah. and now it's Holiday is taking the head off the snake Chris Paul.
1: Yeah,
0: and because yes. I'm sitting here in the room going, you got three dudes that can play defense. Yeah, why don't you just guard Booker
1: <laughs>
0: and Paul <laughs> with with Holiday and maybe just put Giannis on on Booker if you needed to
1: and don't switch (laughs) And don't switch (laughs) that's it that's it but i mean and 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 you know what's the crazy thing about the nba and and don't get me wrong those are arguably some of the best players in the world but i think when they they get there i think they forget about the concept of, of basketball in terms of movement because they'll you know they'll do this often. They'll post up at the three-point line and say, throw it to me. Yep. Wait, no. No, what is that? Why wouldn't I just put you on the move, you know, maybe set a zipper pin down or maybe run a zipper and then come through an elevator or something, and then we get the ball and then run you off a floppy or something to get you on the move versus catch and then... Shot, uh, you know, it's this, yeah, it's ISO, yeah, and it's and it's tough, and don't get me wrong, because they're so talented, they make it look easy. But I would like to think that if they were, if that five of those people were on the move, the game would be a little bit easier for everybody. I would think, you know, and 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 then here's the other thing too. They're on the NBA bench. There's 12 bodies. Okay. Them other bodies that's over there, them, like, bodies 9, 10, 11, 12, Mm -hmm. they play a part because at the end of the first quarter, like the last minute, minute and a half, I'm subbing them guys because I'm not going to lose the game in the minute and a half in the first quarter. I'm subbing them guys, and we're going to do something funky to change the tempo, just to change the tempo, just to kind of get us going because sometimes that game gets so stagnant that I think some teams, they just give up. It's like, all right, well, we're supposed to lose. It's,
0: that's a unique It's a unique game. It's like you, me and you can get – if we were in the league, me and you can get traded like twice, yeah. three times in a year. And still be able to go walk in, yeah. and, and play because it's
1: yeah.
0: it's spread ball screen, uh, yeah, yeah. Spain actions, um, <sighs> um, various various variations off of it. I mean, I, I wa- uh, interesting thing that I did if you if you if you ever have the ability to go on Synergy and check the NBA stats. Yeah, yeah. The the amount of sideline plays compared to baseline ob plays is yeah. is astonishing like right. i was looking through them the other day i think one team had i want to say they had about a thousand and something sideline ob situations uh-huh. and they had like only like 200 yeah baseline uh-huh. and i know as a high school coach we emphasize baseline ob yes more than sideline yeah. so i was
1: looking at that, that foul, when that foul happens in the paint, if it happens in the paint, like I want to say below the charge circle, they want it to be a shooting, and very rarely will they, if it they'll take it out on the baseline, mm. they'll take it out on the side if it yeah. happens.
0: A lot of go. it is. Yeah. A lot of it also is end of game, timeout, advance it. Um, uh, uh, now you're on the men's side. Do you want? Do you wish that you had, being from the girls' side, did when you were when you were with Kelsey, at, uh, Ohio State, were you four quarters or no?
1: Four quarters, and you got two. to ad,
0: and you got to advance the ball, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Yeah, the men, the men's side is not advanced. It's yeah. it's two halves, twenty minutes. It's thirty five. It's thirty. It's thirty, right? They yes, thirty. they are yeah,
1: thirty. Was Thirty-five, but now it is thirty-second shot clock. Yep.
0: I mean, in your in your opinion, should they just switch it to the way the girls' game is, or do you think it all the way around from high school age up should be played at the FIBA international style basketball?
1: Which how would you want to see it? I would love. I would not make like going changes i would like to see the shot clock instituted in high school period i so have like it. We're in the I, state. I, I have it yeah we're like, i don't even know
0: here. i've never experienced it not because i think oh my God. i think it's... my freshman year of high school was 1989 mitch really and yeah. it came i believe
1: yeah we just like in ohio we don't have we need it and and what what coaches don't realize what it is it allows you – you could be down at the four, three or four-minute mark. You could be down 15, maybe 18. You're still in the game. Mm-hmm. You could get – you still got some possessions to work with, which give you a chance. Still, this gives you a chance. So that's the thing I, I, I really like about it, at, especially at the high school. At the college level, I would love to see late game – men advance now if they were just saying well you know we shouldn't advance it because of x y and z well, okay if you're down 50 and they file you in the backcourt you can't advance but if you're down two you're down three five whatever and you got a minute left and you're down five you can advance it because then that gives that gives us a chance to yeah, play mean, the game.
0: I mean, if you're up three in the men's game with with five seconds, six seconds to go, and it's 84 feet, and they throw it, you could just foul, and they have to shoot. There's they can't advance it to run a sideline yeah, right. set to shoot the three. I mean, they could still foul you in the sideline set and prevent mm-hmm. you from shooting the three, like they do in the NBA type of situations. Right. Mm-hmm. But I mean, how many games are you sitting there at the, at the edge of your seat of an NBA game where there's 30 seconds left yeah. and you get to see almost four or five possessions because of the
1: – That's right. That's,
0: and right. That's right. And you're going, yeah, oh, boom, boom, oh, they still have a shot. Oh. I mean, yeah, you, wouldn't have seen, you wouldn't have seen the shot that Suggs made yeah. against UCLA.
1: Right. Because right. UCLA
0: made their shot to go ahead. Uh-huh. They would have called timeout, and they would have advanced it.
1: Right, 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 right. right. So in a
0: roundabout way, that might have saved UCLA because now UCLA would have had a set defense.
1: Yes. No no (laughs) doubt. No doubt. I mean, there are your pros and cons, but I would really love to see them be able to advance it because it's seamless. And here's the other thing. There are some really good coaches, man, in college basketball. I mean, there's some good coaches here. But in the college level, could you imagine Jay, uh, 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 the coach of Villanova, Jay Wright, Jay Wright. some of the stuff he could come up with, you know, the late Rick majeris mm-hmm. Could you imagine if he was able to get the advanced the ball and some of the stuff he would be able or to Or
0: even what, what uh, some of the – because that's what he was known for when he was coaching. Uh, I mean, now that he's in the front office for the Celtics, uh, Brad Stevens.
1: Brad Steve, could you imagine him – being able to advance it and get and it. And he right.
0: had to learn that part of the game.
1: Yeah. 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 God. Like, Cause there are some really good coaches that do really good things. So could you imagine having that opportunity for them to 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 greatly, you know, give their give their team another advantage. And then, you know, chess masters in, in terms of what guys would do to be able to combat that and counteract that. You know, I think sometimes coaches get comfortable. They get some some of them they coach and they they they're they're not just I ain't gonna say scared but they they take the numbers Well, the numbers say uh,
0: and <laughs> yeah. we get analytical
1: yeah way over the top uh, way over the top
0: well I want to thank you for coming on this has been fun yeah. a lot of a yeah. lot of yeah. good information yeah uh, I know I know. Hopefully, we'll get a lot of people watching some of this stuff. Uh, yeah. Love to have you come back through, in, during your yeah. season. Talk totally. about your Wilberforce. Glad that you're gonna. I know. I know you took your advantage of not being able to play, but right. uh, your 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 program's gonna feel unleashed when you when you when you get a chance to play this year. Um, yeah. And best of luck to you. Thanks for Thanks, coming man. on. Thanks for everything you do to help me help no others. No All
1: day. right, Matt.
0: Uh, take, take care, our right, man. Talk to you Appreciate you brother. Thanks right, for man. everything, man. All right, man. Take care. See you, man.
1: Bye-bye. Right.
0: Hey coach, thanks for joining me on this episode of the Basketballia podcast, brought to you by System Basketball. System Basketball helps coaches around the world like yourself through this podcast the YouTube channel, XNO breakdowns, online courses, and online clinics. If you'd like to learn more about the dribble drive motion offense, we also have a Facebook group with all over 2,100 coaches discussing it daily. That is at dribbledrivemotionhooptalk.com on Facebook. So join us inside today to learn more about the dribble drive motion offense. Thank you again for joining us on this episode and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you know when the next podcast will be available.